Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the wonderful message that you've given to us. We thank you that you've invited the Kittlesons and all of us to join you, Lord Jesus, on this mission, this wonderful proclamation of the truth of God, the love of God that, that sets people free. So today, Lord, uh, we put in place the ministry to those that, that to a certain extent, they've, they've left behind. Uh, obviously, they continue to be connected, uh, but, but the, the miles are many. So, Lord, provide what's needed there. And then here, Lord, give them a, a clear vision of the ministry you've called them to, the way that they can build your kingdom here. And so, Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for them, and we expect, Lord, that you will continue to use them to proclaim the gospel and to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, today, it's the second in three parts of, of the wilderness. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. The wilderness was obviously a, a big event. And uh, so we're going to spend some time looking at a passage that, that gives guidance to what God wants from us. So if I were to ask you, what is the worst job you ever had? Some of you right away can just answer that question. Some of you not so much. For me, it's kind of interesting. My, mine is a summer maintenance position in a company in St. Louis Park. And it wasn't that I didn't like the work. I actually really enjoyed the work. An example would be this. It'd be 5 o'clock on a Tuesday, and my boss comes up to me as he's heading out to the parking lot, and he'd say, Nick, I need you to get in extra early tomorrow. We got to get the whole lawn mowed, which would take a full day. I said, no problem. Get there, getting after it, feeling good about life. Up to me comes this my boss with this sense of urgency, his face looks like he's just ready to lose it. And he comes up and he goes, what are you doing? Ah, uh, mowing. I need you to paint what that, remember I told you about that last week, we got to get that done today. And my head is spinning, it's hurting a little bit, but he's my boss and I didn't know, I knew it wasn't worth arguing I just was like, what, can I ever please this guy? I never knew what he wanted from me. There's a question, does this question go everywhere? Whether bosses or teachers or coaches, like what, what do you want from me? What, what will please you? What's going to get me some playing time? What's going to get me that A? What's going to get me that promotion? What's going to make me secure and enjoy Life. Now, all those things we can all probably relate to to one degree or another, but there's a far, far more important question, which many of you know this is where I'm ending up. God, what do you, what do you want from me? What do you want from us? And I am so thankful that he is clear. He does not hide the answer. His answer is, I need nothing from you. The, the beauty in that, I hope you're like, oh, there's grace there, there's freedom there, and there's struggle there, right? Because as you hear me say often, we're just not that great, so we struggle. 
So what the text we're going to be looking at this morning in far as wilderness is from Deuteronomy 10. And what this actually is, Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. And this is, is actually post-wilderness, but it's, it's Moses speaking backwards to what they've experienced. So reading this, you hear, what does God want from you and from me? Beginning verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's, and even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer." For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So this text is magnificent. This is part of a speech that Moses is giving to the Israelites after 40 years of wilderness wandering. This is him encouraging them to remember what was, but yet, more importantly, remember what has not changed and what is for you today. So this journey from Egypt to Canaan probably should have taken, with the mass of of Israelites, two, maybe three years at the most, including the time, the 11 months or so that they spent receiving the Ten Commandments and building the tabernacle. So they went about 300 to 400 miles, depending on where they started, where they ended, so to speak. And they were delivered. They were pulled out of Egypt. They were saved. They were, went through the Red Sea, and God brought them through that safely, destroyed their enemies. And here they are at the Promised Land. And, and, and God says, there it is. That's the land I told you. That's for you. And Moses sends in 12 spies, And they go, and they come back, and they go, man, it is the best land. It is just like God said it is. It is phenomenal. Yeah, no, we can't go in there. We can't do this. The the people in there are just like, they're like giants. They're way more powerful than us. There's no way we can go in there. And as you can imagine, God said, hey, uh, did you guys pay any attention to what I said? He said, no, we, we can't go in there. He said, okay, resting in me, off you go. And so their decision to not go where God told them to go was 40 years in the wilderness. And so here they are coming once again to the promised land. 
And Moses is declaring, okay, let's try this again. Let me tell you who God is, how you are to interact with him. What do you want, God? And so the answer for us and for the Israelites is, as I've already stated, God doesn't need anything from us to complete him or to benefit him. Nothing. If you heard what I said when I read this text, he, it's all his. He's got it all. He made it all. It's, it's, he owns it. As magnificent as it was for me to sit and listen to you choir, thank you so much, and the praise band and all of us singing together, God has, I don't know the number of angels going, woo, and they all have way better voices than me. God doesn't need our worship to boost his need for self-esteem. God doesn't need anything from you. But God wants to give you everything that you need, and he wants you to know it. He wants you to be excited about it. He wants you to go, what should I do with all this stuff, God, that you've given to me? My life. God wants you to know that he is a God who loves you perfectly and immensely. He could not give you more grace than he has given to you. We can't buy it. We can never earn it. That's the thing, if you remember the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, he didn't quite get this. And I'd say he didn't come close to getting it. Remember, he came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus, he said, what does God want from me? That's, that's a paraphrase. He, he said, what should I do to get to heaven? And Jesus said to him, keep the commandments. Keep them, all of them. And he said, I have done that. What more do I need to do? And Jesus said to him, because he wanted to hold up to him, you are an idol worshiper. Will you be set free? Said, sell all that you have and give the money away. And we're told that the response of the rich young ruler was he walked away sad. Because he loved his stuff more than he loved God, than he loved Jesus. He didn't get that. He wanted, he somehow thought he was coming at God on like equal planes. How can we make this exchange here? Because I keep all the rules. I want to, I don't want to bow down. I want to. I just want to exchange with you, God. So this rich young ruler thought he was rich in himself. And God wants us to understand that we can't rely upon ourselves. We can't love and worship the stuff. So what, is, what does God want from you and me to get into heaven? Well, Scripture says he wants pure hands and a clean heart. Perfectly pure and clean. You don't got them, and neither do I. And so, this brings us back 
to God coming to us as he did to the Israelites when they were in Egypt, when they were at the Red Sea. And today, for me and for you, he comes bearing gifts. And he wants us to be thankful. While it's true, again, that God needs nothing from us, it's also true, as I already stated, he wants everything for your good. This, it makes me, asking that question makes me think of artwork. And when I say artwork, I'm not talking Van Gogh, Michelangelo, Picasso. I'm talking Nick. See, you didn't laugh because you don't know, is he a good artist? No, he's not a good artist. And for me, um, when I think of art, and I think of this idea that I'm trying to help us to, to, to celebrate, to rejoice in, I think of myself as a kid just working my tail off, drawing these hot rods. I don't know, back in my day, like, yeah, guys, it was kind of cool to draw these hot rods. And I would bring them to my dad. And he would look at it and be amazed. He loved those drawings. In fact, I remember when I was older, he had a stack of them like that in a drawer. I get that. Because last night I'm working in our home office, working on some stuff, and I look around the room and on the walls and in places is the artwork of my kids, Barb's kids. It is the best artwork I could ever imagine. Because they're mine. And they came with this gift that they made saying, this is for you and you're mine. But to me, it's priceless. It's not, there's not, it's not a, there's not a value you put on like that. It's a value that's based on you're mine and I'm yours. This is what God wants us to understand so that we understand that a far better question is, what do you want from me? It's like, I can't believe you gave me all this stuff. How can I live this out in response to all that you are? And so with that in mind, there's a few things. There's five main things I just want to mention that come right out of this text. And again, I, I pointed it out, I kind of paused when I read the text in verse 13, as God is saying these things I'm going to list, he says, this is for your good. Isn't that part of the struggle we have? When you look back on your life? And so, here we are. Lord, what do you want from us in this room today? Well, the first thing is, is uh, God's people fear God. So that's all through scripture, this common theme of fearing God. And if you're sitting here and, this, and you're not familiar with this phrase from a, the way we use it in the Bible, you might be thinking, what in the world? I do not need another fear in my life. There are enough things to fear out there. Sickness and, and who knows if the economy is going to stay strong and war and, and crime and just struggles, being ridiculed, being rejected, being alone. There's death. There's on and on it goes. I do not. Why do you think that's appealing to me, Nick, for you to tell me to fear God? 
It's because it doesn't mean that. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we naturally think. It has to do with, with seeing it rightly. The fear of God, Scripture tells us in, in a few different places, is the beginning of wisdom. Why, why does that make so much sense? I'll go back again to being a kid in my family. Is We did not have a democratic family. I don't think that even existed back then. And I, I feared my parents like this. They were in charge. They were the ones in authority. They truly were the ones who could punish me. But far, far greater than that, the fear was a, like, you're caring for me. I, I'm safe with you. I believe mom and dad, take care, you're going to take care of me, aren't you? I can't have a job. And they did. This is the way that God is coming to us, wanting us to understand that he is like the most loving, perfect parent there could be. But he's in charge, Nick. You're not. Proverbs 14, 26 puts it like this. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. That's it, it, it's safe there. It's the, it's the best place. Oswald Chambers, 19th century evangelist, chaplain, author, he had this statement. I love this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Secondly, we walk in all his ways, or there's another passage, or section in this passage that I read, that we walk in obedience. Obey. John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 state it like this. We know that we have come to know God if we obey him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Now, I want you to, to hear me that this doesn't say... To know God is this fuzzy feeling. It's this emotional thing that is wonderful. It just, ooh, it's really touchy-feely. It doesn't say that. Worshiping together, I love the way my, my heart feels. But God's word says, Nick, if you know me and you claim to know me, you do know me, you're going to obey me. So all of those feelings and those exaltations of my heart and those challenges of God's word are set in the context of a life that says, I want to do, Lord, what you want me to do. Then we know that we're following the Lord. Jesus simply said it like this, don't tell me you love me and how great I am and then not obey me. It's a lie. To walk I like going for walks. Barb and I went for a walk yesterday. To walk means to move. It's to put one foot in front of the other. It's to travel along. It's, it's, I, I love going for walks. What it means in Scripture and the context it means is to walk with God is to imitate God. How should we do that? How should we live our lives? What should we do in this moment, in this place? Jesus, what should I do here? 
what is revealed in Scripture? What can we take from Scripture and say, this is how I should handle this situation? What is going on in my life that I don't know how to handle? And we go to Scripture. We have the Spirit of God living within us that's guiding us, that's showing us what to do. It's a mimicking of God that Jesus came and he walked. I love going on trails. Lord, what should we do? It's a marked trail. We know what it is. And the best part about it is the, the guide never leaves our side. The guide always takes us by the hand. His name is Jesus. He brings us along. And he takes us to the next point. Uh, we are to love God. It's very clear in here. Love God and, and with that also comes love others because God loves you so then I should love you in fact, if we don't understand that, it will burn you out. To love like we are called to love in Scripture is a sacrificial love. It is nothing less than me living my life day after day after day in the power that God has given me, in the freedom that God has given me to say that God is clear. I need to love you and put you first. And that's not normal for this world. And if, if we're not understanding that we've been loved by God, that is an oppressive chore. But when we understand we are first loved, it just makes sense. It's how we live. So Moses said, love the Lord your God with, with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul. Where do you put forth your energy? Where do you put forth your checkbook? Where do you put forth your life? Jesus takes it a little bit further even in the New Testament and he quotes Moses and then he says, and with all your mind. Today, I want to tell you how vitally important it is for you to understand how to operate in this world having love of God guiding your thoughts, the word of God guiding your mind as you process things. Because there's a lot of mistakes that are being made today as people think they're representing the truth of God, and they're not. They're either not being true or they're not being loving. Love God. Got two more. God's people serve God. Jesus, obviously, is the primary of this. And in Matthew 20, you've got uh, the mother of James and John coming to Jesus and going, hey, I want you in your big kingdom, once that whole thing gets set up, I want my kids to be the big deal there. So Jesus, I want you to tell me that James and John are, are going to have the, the, the best seats in the house, at your right and at your left. And Jesus says, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And then the other 10 disciples are all worked up about this. What a couple of, can you believe those guys did that before we did? That, and Jesus knows that. So Jesus then takes the whole group and he tells them there is, is a necessity if we claim to know God and to follow God, if we, have, if we truly have interest in, Lord, what should we do? 
And then to clarify it so that it doesn't just stay in our heads and we get comfortable hanging out with each other because I really like you. We're alike. We think alike. We have the same life experience. Oh, we shop in the same places and all that. God pushes on us to bless us, to give us what is best for us. And he declares this. I'll read it again so that we understand the heart of God that he says, Nick, this is what your heart should be like. If you want what is best, if you want to enjoy what is best, he says this. Nick, I defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow. I love the foreigner residing among you. I will give them food and clothes that that isn't meant to push into, bless us, not to beat us up, but to go just Get after those people that you have been invited by God into their life to care for them and to love them and to give them what they need. Because this is what our God does. And the last thing in verse 20, it says, to do all this, can you imagine what I've just given you? We need to cling to God. And that makes me so much think of, I've quoted this before, but it just fits here again. I'm weak I don't know about you, but man, I don't hold on to God very strongly. But I can relate to wanting to do these things. Don't you want to live by faith like this? Don't you want to do this rightly and to do this sacrificially and to live a life that's like on the edge? It's like amazing, God, where you've called me and it's it's working. Because Jesus said to him and he says to me and you, get out of there. Get out of the boat. Come here. And it's the same thing. Jesus, for me to get over to you, there's a storm, there's difficulty, there's things raging, and I am weak, and I will sink. And Jesus goes, I know! I'm holding you far greater than you're holding me. So Nick, love me. Serve me. Obey me. Walk with me. Live. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and it is right and it is true. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know that we have nothing to offer you that makes your life better, that that gives you what you are missing. But Lord, help us so we can bless those around us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.